Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is DJ Hillier, and you are listening to episode 216 of the MyFit Podcast. This week on the show, I'm stoked to welcome back highly sought after sports psychologist and best-selling author, Dr. Jim Aframo. Dr. Aframo has spent the past 20 years assisting numerous world-class athletes and teams in major sports, including the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, UFC, PGA Tour, WNBA, as well as several Olympians. Dr. Aframo's first book titled The Champion's Mind is a national bestseller and one of my personal all-time favorite books. I remember getting introduced to Aframo's book, The Champion's Mind, on a plane ride. And at the time, I wasn't much of a reader, but I recall reading the book the entire plane ride and continuing to carry it through the airport with me as I went into baggage claim. It was something that I just felt like I couldn't put down. And as I look back and reflect on my life, I think that was the first moment that I was really exposed and introduced to the powers of the mental game. So I owe a lot of my new, newly found passion to Dr. Jim Aframo. And it was awesome to have him back on the show today to do a follow-up into a, a volume two conversation to go into his second book, which is titled The Champion comeback. And that's where we started the conversation today. I wanted to know if Dr. Aframo had a story about his most memorable comeback, whether it was with a client, with an athlete, or one that maybe he just watched on TV. So we started by talking about his most memorable comeback story. After that, we talked about how the best athletes in the world are the ones that are able to turn a setback into a comeback and how it really starts with your mindset and your attitude. I think um, before we get into the strategies and the nuances of coming back from a bad play, a bad game or an injury, it really needs to start with having a growth mindset and being open to even uh, going down that road of, of, of wanting a comeback. Then the meat of the conversation was going through the seven L's of the comeback code, which is a big part of the champion's comeback book. Then we close down by talking about the four C's of mental toughness and specific ways to improve your self-talk. If you found the show to be valuable, please consider leaving a rating review or share it on your social medias. Your five-star feedback helps the show grow and helps to bring on more amazing guests like Dr. Jim Aframal. Without further ado, let's get to this great conversation about the champion's comeback. Let's go. The MyFit Podcast is brought to you by Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. 
with none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, and no BS. Healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. And it makes sense. You lose both water and sodium when you sweat. So both need to be replaced to prevent things like muscle cramps, headaches, and energy dips. There are several flavors to choose from. My favorite is the citrus salt, which is how I start every single day. And as listeners of the MyFit podcast, you can now receive a free element sample pack with any order by using the link www.drinkelement.com forward slash MyFit. Again, that's www.drinklmnt.com forward slash M-I-F-I-T. Go get yours now. Dr. Jim Aframa, welcome back to round two of the MyFit podcast. We had such a great time talking uh, a little over a year ago about The Champion's Mind, one of the my most favorite books I've ever read and one I still remember reading on an airplane. And instead of getting off the plane and putting the book in the backpack, I remember walking to baggage claim, still reading that book. And looking back, it's been a really pivotal part of my life because now as I step into mental performance coaching, I look back to what changed in my life. And I was always interested in psychology, but I didn't really know that psychology could fit into sport until I read your book. So uh, it's just an honor to have you back on the show. I really look up to you and your content and thanks for taking the time today. Thanks so much, DJ. I love your show. Uh, I love your attitude. Uh, So we're going to talk a lot about attitude today, but um, yeah, it's uh, life is a psychology test in a lot of ways. And so, um, you know, I love talking about this topic and looking forward to um sharing some ideas today and you know having a lot of fun cool so the first conversation was around your book the champion's mind today's conversation is going to be around your second book the champion's comeback it's all about comebacks setbacks it it all happens in different ways and what i love most about mental performance coaching and psychology is that yes it's great in sports and there's a lot of stories and analogies but probably the best part jim is that it's not just sport it really parlays over into all areas of life so i'm sure although we're going to talk a lot about sports today um, a lot of the stories can help you in all facets of life and i like to start my episodes jim with a story i would love to hear from your point of view whether it's uh, a personal story or something you've witnessed from afar what's the most memorable comeback that you've seen you know, I've been fortunate enough to see a lot of great comebacks. Um, I've worked with UFC fighters, so a couple of them have either lost a match and then come back and then won the next one to win the belt, or they won the belt, lost it, and then won it back again. Um, so a lot of great stories, but uh, one story that's ongoing right now is um, I have a colleague uh, when I was with the San Francisco Giants, he's an athletic trainer. And um, he was with the big league club when they won three World Series. Uh, so he has three rings, which is really nice. And uh, then he was the head athletic trainer for the minor league system, the whole minor league system. And there's about 550 players. Anyway, he retired, uh, you know, in the last few years. And unfortunately, he suffered a stroke uh, back in August of last year. And um, a few days after the uh, stroke, he, uh, I was able to talk to him on the phone and he was barely able to talk. Uh, he's back in Phoenix. And um, he said to me, I'm going to make my own champions come back now. And so, you know, I mean, that gave me chills and, you know, my heart went out to him and uh, we've been staying in touch every week since then. And he was in ICU for six days and then uh, six weeks. Um, you know, in terms of getting treatment at the rehab hospital. And then now he's back home doing a lot of outpatient in terms of, you know, occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, and so on. 
And, you know, he said to me yesterday, he said, um, stroke recovery really is a mental game. Um, and he said, everything that we talked about with injured athletes back with the Giants or just reading your book, he said, I'm applying all of that and it's made all the difference. And so, you know, everything from the tips, tools, techniques like self-talk, visualization, body language, meditation, breathing techniques, he has a whole toolbox and, you know, we call them power tools. And so he said, man, I'm using all these and not only am I, it's making a big difference for me, but other people around me, whether at the outpatient clinic or back when I was in the hospital, they're seeing a difference in me in terms of my attitude. And they're like, Hey, what's going on with you? I need to bring that in my own game, my own life, or, you know, for other stroke patients, they're modeling him. They're like, Hey, bring it on. Let me, <laughs> let me use some of that too. It's amazing how, you know, we have a, we have a choice every day on how we want to react in our attitude. And I had a man named Jack Jablonski on my show and he's a, a Minnesota legend because in one of the high school state hockey tournaments, he slid headfirst into the boards and was paralyzed immediately. And we talked on the show about how his mission is to walk again and eventually skate again. And his mindset from the beginning is that he wants to prove people wrong. And he had what we would all deem as the right attitude right away. I got to imagine before we get into kind of the deeper layers and the strategies here, it really starts with your mindset of being, having a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. You have to be in the right place there first before you can start stepping into a champion's comeback or a comeback at all. I think you first have to have the wherewithal or the awareness of, you know what, I, I'm going to take this as an opportunity, not an obstacle. You got to have that first, don't you? Yeah, I think preparation is really important. Um, a lot of times, um, you know, when uh, we hit a wall, um, you know, it's kind of too late, <laughs> you know, if we don't have any of that background. And so building those tools, those strategies really help when we need them the most. Um, but you're right. Um, you know, our attitude makes the difference, um, whether we, you know, stay down or we get up and move forward. And so I always like to say, you know, you might be bloodied, but you're not buried. And so let's focus on your comeback. You know, let's bounce back. And I love what Pete Carroll always says, you know, it's the bounce that counts. I like that a lot. I, I look, I listen to a lot of Jocko Willick and I love one of his favorite uh, quotes is just good. So anything that happens to him is good. Or I really like to lean on one of my skills of mental uh, of becoming more elevated mindset. Jim is the curious mindset, becoming curious about what can I learn from this? And, you know, you know, not why did this happen to me, but how can I get better from this and really start to cultivate some questions on how I can become better after what people deem as a, a piece of adversity instead of dwelling in it, start asking questions. Yeah. Curiosity is really important because usually we get furious instead of curious. And so That's we right. just get frustrated. We get annoyed. We, uh, um, you know, we get entitled and then, you know, we stay stuck. And so if you're curious, it's like, oh, you know, how can I benefit from this? Uh, how can I turn this around? And, you know, I really believe that not everything necessarily always happens for the best, but we can make the best of whatever does happen. And there's always a silver lining somehow, some way that we need to find. Um, and a lot of times when we look back on our life or, you know, maybe it's a particular season, uh, sports season, um, the adversity really, you know, if we use it the right way, really was a catalyst to doing something that we didn't think we could do, you know, beforehand. And so I really like the idea of whatever comes my way, I'm going to find a way to use it to my advantage. Um, 
you know, and that takes a little bit of work and, you know, and, and, and a good attitude because that's not the natural response. The natural response, like you're saying, is, you know, why me versus try me? I think about, too, about, you know, I'm a big sports fan, and I, I, I don't know if I could name a lot of teams over the years in my lifetime that went through a perfect season with no adversity and won the championship. I almost feel like sometimes when there are good teams, I think about, you know, even some of Brady's teams back in the day with New England, they would lose a game maybe to Cincinnati that they shouldn't lose. But it it was almost like, uh, this is probably a good thing. You know, you need a little bit of something. So what if we all kind of created that mindset, Jim, of like, you know what, we, we need, we need a little bit of this adversity so we can, we can push ourselves further. Not that we, necessarily want it. Maybe that's hard, a hard pill to swallow, but we need adversity to grow. Yeah, we definitely do because uh, otherwise we're just going to get complacent. Uh, we're going to rest on our laurels. And, you know, I like the saying that if you rest on your laurels, they're on the wrong part of your body, you know, we're sitting on them. And, um, but yeah, I mean, that really is a test, uh, you know, how bad do you want this? How good do you really want to be? Uh, again, we're going to all run into uh, uh, walls at times. And, um, that's an opportunity also, you know, when you're a part of a team to really come together and, and, you know, when you go through it with your, you know, you, you have that road that you go through with your teammates. I mean, that builds a stronger bond than if everything's always okay. So we talked about briefly the seven L's of the comeback code. The first L is let go. Can we walk through each of these? Absolutely. So, um, you know, it's important to not stay stuck or to dwell on anything negative that happened. Um, you know, and that's, a, you know, a tendency that we all have is uh, uh, to stay in, you know, I, I kind of look at it as denial in some ways, like, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> you know, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not okay. You know, and we have to move through those stages of grief till we get to acceptance. Hey, it happened. I need to put it behind me so that I can make something good happen. And, you know, that might be a particular shot in a golf tournament. Okay, uh, you know, I'm going to love the next shot more than I hated that last shot. Or it could be, you know, hey, that was a tough first half in the game. You know, I I don't like that, but I'm going to love the idea that we still have another half to play. There's plenty of football or soccer, whatever sport left to play in this in this game. And so let's focus on that. But we need to find a way to let go in order to move on. And so little rituals can help with that. One is the famous brick strategy, which is, you know, write down your loss or whatever negative happened and hold on to it until it's time to let it go and uh, and then throw it away. Um, you know, it might even be having a 24-hour strategy. After a game, I need to let go of the win. Or I need to get lo- let go of the loss so I can focus fully on the next game or next event. Um, so having a strategy in place, I like uh, one baseball guy said to me that, you know, he kind of has a Cinderella approach to each game, which is, um, you know, when this when the clock strikes midnight, the game turns into a pumpkin. <laughs> and so, you know, he just, you know, it's gone, it's over, whatever happened, happened. And when he wakes up the next day, clean slate, fresh start, ready to win whatever's next. Mm. Let go is powerful. I feel like, and you'd probably agree, I think the best athletes in the world, everybody's going to have errors, setbacks, mistakes. I think the best athletes in the world are the ones that can bounce back quicker than their teammates or their opponents. I'm curious, in a game situation, let's say an air bad shot, what are your strategies there for bouncing back? Uh, there's so many fun ones, but uh, one that really comes to mind um, is um, I had a conversation with Randy Wynn. He played 10 years in the big leagues. He played for the Giants, uh, the Yankees, and the Mariners. And 
when I was with the Giants organization, um, he was doing some broadcasting and, you know, and coming around and talking to the players and whatnot. And uh, I said, Randy, how'd you deal with mistakes when you played? And he just gave me this kind of dirty look, like, what are you talking about? And I said, you know, like maybe you, you know, something in the outfield or you didn't have a good at bat. How'd you handle that? And uh, it was really funny. He said, uh, I didn't make many mistakes when I played. And uh, <laughs> I said, what do you mean you didn't make any mistakes? And then he kind of smiled at me and he said, well, I pretended during the game that, you know, I didn't make the mistake, you know. And so I call it the what mistake approach. I didn't make that mistake. But here's the cool part. So he, you know, he acted as if it didn't happen or maybe another player made it. And that was his approach. But the neat part of that is after the game, he thought, okay, what adjustments do I need to make? You know, what corrections do I need to make? So he wasn't in denial afterward, but in the moment, it's like, I don't have time to think about that. I don't Mm. have time to feel sorry for myself or, you know, I don't have time to feel bad because, you know, I let my teammates down. So it was more of an emotional thing of I'm not going to overreact to it. I'm going to underreact to it. So that's a big part of dealing with mistakes in the heat of competition is just underreacting. You know, no one after a game, you know, has ever said, oh, I wish I reacted more negatively to that mistake or that bad call or that, you know, that error. And so I call it the Randy Wynn, what mistake approach? I didn't make a mistake. What happened? And it's funny. I talked with a poker player once that said, you know, I we're working on his uh, mental game of poker. And I said, how do you handle a bad beat? You know, like, let's say you have a good hand, but you still lose, um, you know, a bunch of money on that hand. And he said, uh, he said, I just pretend it happened to someone else at the table. (laughs) So, you know, it's a kind of way of detaching and, and, and not getting emotionally upset by it. Um, I do think one of the biggest mistakes we tend to make after making a mistake is trying to make up for the mistake right away. Uh, so I bogey that hole. I have to birdie the next hole. Whereas, you know, let's say Jack Nicholas back in the day, he talked about, you know, I just needed to get back on solid ground. So just hit it in the fairway, you know, get my rhythm going again. And then, you know, once I get the rhythm going again, then maybe I'll start going for those birdies, start aiming at the flag. But usually we try to make up for it too soon. And then that compounds the problem. You talked, I love all that. You talked about letting go of the win and that caught my attention there too. Yeah, I touched on earlier, I'm a fan of Jocko Willick. He recently was on, Andrew Huberman's podcast told a really great story about how they were out in the battlefield, had a great mission. Everything went really well. Nobody came back wounded or hurt. They accomplished everything they wanted to accomplish. They drive back to the base and everybody wants to go party and celebrate because they kicked ass. They did great. And Jocko's the leader of this group. And he basically brings everybody in and says, I know it was great. I want to go have fun too, but we need to debrief. We need to clean these guns. This is what we do after every single time, good or bad. So he talked about how We need people in our lives that are what he calls anchors. They anchor down our emotions. They keep us regulated. He basically, the the moral of the story was that if you're not an anchor yourself, you need to surround yourself with people that can anchor you down and keep you level-headed. I'm thinking about, you're saying, let go of the win. So people want to celebrate. They want to go out. They want to have beers. They want to do all this stuff, but that can impact the next day if you're playing a back-to-back. So talk, talk to me a little bit more about that. It's very interesting to me about letting go of the win. It's not just the loss. Absolutely, because um, you know what we did in yesterday's game isn't necessarily going to help us in today's game, and so uh, good or bad. And so what's the saying that uh, you know uh, yesterday's win doesn't you know uh, make the sailboat go today? You know, like it's um, it's a new day, it's a new opportunity, and so 
you know, if we're thinking too much about the past or getting too far ahead of ourselves and, you know, counting our chickens before they hatch, like, oh, well, we've got this in the bag, you know, we're two or three games ahead in the playoff, you know, in the playoff hunt, uh, we'll make the playoffs easily. That's when we let our guard down. And so you got to tighten those helmet cords and, you know, or, you know, adjust the uh, helmet and get ready to uh, battle today. So uh, to me, it's just doing whatever you're doing, you're doing it to the fullest in that moment. And so, you know, I think it is important to celebrate what you want to see, you know, happen more often. Um, but there needs to be, a, a, you know, kind of a timestamp on that. And then, um, you know, I, I do think that it's important to not get too high or too low, as we all know. Because, um, you know, sometimes it feels like, oh, you know, things aren't working too well. And then we give up. That's never going to get us where we want to go. But if things are going too well uh, or, you know, going really well, uh, it's easy to stop doing the things that mm -hmm. got us. And so sometimes, you know, when you're doing really well, you almost need to start really getting almost a little bit more serious. The second one is look for support. The third one is love the game. Do you want to dive into one of those two or both? Yeah, uh, look for support is huge. Um, I like the idea of, uh, you know, being a self-made man in a lot of ways. But, you know, let's be honest. We all need teammates. We all need uh, coaches. We all need support. Um, when I was in the baseball world, um, you know, there are a couple sayings that I really like. One is never suffer alone. Uh, and and two is always have a good go-to person uh, that you could talk to. Because, you know, think about playing 162 games in 180 days, <laughs> you know, and um, and, you know, being on the road for half of those. And so it gets really, really hard. Um, um, and we get humbled. And so having someone that can, you know, you could lean on that could pick you up or like we were talking about when things are going well, you might get away from your routine. And so having someone that can challenge you is important as well. But, uh, uh, support is huge. Um, you know, it's not always who you associate with too. It's also who you just associate from. And so, you know, you got to think, okay, you know, is anyone holding me back um, versus, you know, just trying to find someone to lift you up? So we need to make sure that everyone is on the same page. And, you know, I, I know uh, Coach Calipari with uh, Kentucky Basketball, he'll tell guys, look, you know, there needs to be some people in your life. You might need to say, I love you to death, but I'll talk to you after the season, <laughs> you know, because they might be a distraction in it, you know, and they might mean well, but you know, you need to have that uh, laser-like focus during the season. So uh, support is huge. I mentioned, you know, Mark Drewsbeck, my uh, former colleague with the Giants. And, you know, uh, he's been really good at throughout his whole career of taking care of everyone else. And now he's in a position after suffering mm. the stroke um, to ask for help. And he's done, you know, I'm really proud of him because it takes courage to ask for help. And, um, you know, he's not too proud to ask for help now. And so, you know, he realizes like, you know, this is a, you know, let's out team the stroke, you know, let's really work together with specialists and, and special people with special skills. And then also being able to just say, Hey, I just need someone to be a good listening ear right now while I'm going through, you know, kind of a rough patch today. The third one is love for the game. And I know from my experience, Jim, that being a, an athlete, that the game's not very fun when you're not playing well. And the game is definitely not very fun when you're injured and you're watching from the sidelines. I think this is out of, the, out of all the seven L's, it's probably the, the, the most tough one is to find that love. Or maybe you want to steer this differently. But what did you mean by love for the game? Well, a lot of times we uh, get away from our love of the game and get caught up in more of the extrinsic rewards. Um, you know, what's my salary? What's uh, what's my position? Why didn't I make the uh, 
all-star team? Um, why are people saying negative things about me? Uh, or, you know, uh, just getting caught up in the business side of it. And, um, but our heart, our passion, you know, our, our love of the game is what brings us, you know, forward in terms of bringing out our best self. And so, um, a lot of athletes, when they're struggling, they're just thinking too much about outcome instead of, man, I can't wait to go play the game I love more than any other game and uh, do the thing that, um, you know, I years ago, this would have been my dream. Um, and now, you know, I don't want to take it for granted. So I love the idea of having gratitude. You know, I get to play. I don't have to play. Um, and uh, versus entitlement, which is, you know, why isn't everyone doing everything I want them to do or, you know, the, the organization or coach or teammates? Um, but I actually had, uh, I've shared this story a few times. I had a, a baseball player that one time came into my office and he said, Jim, you know, when I was growing up, I, uh, I would pray every night that it wouldn't rain the next day because, you know, I wanted to play baseball. And he said, now I, I go to bed every night praying that it does rain tomorrow <laughs> because I don't want to play. I'm just too stressed out. I'm too worried about results. I've, you know, I'm, it's too, the game could feel too hard at times. And so, um, you know, we got back, what do you love about the game? What are some of your happiest memories? You know, um, and the more he talked about that, you know, I saw the smile come back on his face and he's like, man, you know, I love this, you know, like I really do love this game. And so part of it is loving the game, falling back in love with the game. But part of it also is falling back in love with yourself. You got to love yourself because again, life is not a game of perfect. Um, you know, we're never going to be perfect at what we do. And so there's a tendency sometimes to be too hard on ourselves. And, you know, a little bit of that's okay if it's, you know, hey, come on, you know, let's, let's get back to our plan, you know, stick to your routine, you can do this. That's being hard on yourself in a good way, but you suck, this, you know, that was terrible. Uh, what's wrong with you? That's just self-abuse. And so we got to stay in love with ourselves and love with our game. And that's a pretty tough combination, you know, when you're going up with someone that loves themselves and then loves what they're doing. Sure. I have um, my favorite page in the book is is page 89. I have it earmarked and it's underlined and I, I'd love to read it back to you here. It's to increase the odds of achieving your goals and to maintain motivation for the long haul, play your sport for its own sake, not just for an extrinsic benefit that it may bestow on you. Think of external awards as an added bonus. Play your sport because of the joy it brings you. Remember, if you don't enjoy the journey, chances are you won't enjoy the destination. Another way to sustain motivation is to realize that a minor setback is an opportunity to make a major comeback. After a hard fall or a tough loss, keeping a champion state of mind will help you bounce back higher. Be determined rather than discouraged. Keep pushing relentlessly and confidently toward your goals. There's a ton we could dive into there, but I wanted to read it back because it was really impactful for me and I have it underlined several times. Tell me about that, that paragraph there. Well, it's just that attitude that, um, you know, again, whatever happens, I'm going to find a way to make it uh, something, you know, something positive out of it. And, uh, you know, it's too, you know, again, it's human nature. What we're doing, what we're talking about here goes against human nature. Um, and that's where my whole philosophy is think gold and never settle for silver. And the point of that is not, you know, literally the gold medal. It's being your gold medal self and living a gold medal life. And so we all have expectations and plans. And, you know, like Mike Tyson said, you know, <laughs> when you get punched in the face, all those plans go out the window. But, um, you know, again, it's one of those things where um, you got to fall in love 
with the opportunity at hand. And so, um, you know, we got knocked down. Well, this is just going to make a better story. And so um, I have a colleague that says, you know, just adds to the legend when something bad happens. <laughs> and so you got to look at it that way. It's kind of what I'm trying to get in that paragraph. Um, because the normal instant immediate reaction is discouragement, frustration, annoyance versus, ooh, okay, I'm going to take that energy and now I'm more determined. Now I'm more driven. And look out because now I'm really going to get this. Now I'm really going to make this happen. And then that's when you're really, really hard to stop. So I think winning makes you happy. Losing or, you know, hitting a rough patch uh, makes you wise if you look at it the right way. But it really can make you more determined because it's like, okay, now I really see how close I can be to, you know, where I want to be. And nothing's going to stop me now. I love the distinction between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. I recently interviewed Caroline Burkle, former Olympic swimmer, and she talked about how in her early years, she found herself swimming for other people, her coach, her parents, her fans, et cetera. It's very extrinsic. You talk in your book about how if you're not finding joy, you need to probably check in with your intrinsic and extrinsic motivations. Are you more motivated by things that are external or are you motivated by becoming a master of your craft and working on you. Talk to me a little bit about dive into your perspective on extrinsic and intrinsic as a part of motivation. Yeah. I mean, we all pick up our, you know, our craft or, you know, or whatever area of interest because it's fun just for the sake of doing. Uh, but along the way, we get so many comments, you know, in socialization, but so many comments from others. Uh, did you win? What was, you know, what's your PR? Uh, you know, you go play golf, what sport did you shoot? Um, so then we start thinking more about that kind of stuff. And um, again, that to me is icing on the cake. But, uh, you know, I like to ask athletes and other performers, you know, if you had six months left to live, would you play your sport? Uh, and it's really interesting. A lot of them are like, no way. <laughs> you know, are you kidding me? Um, actually, you know, I've worked with, it's amazing how talented some of these athletes are. I, I remember uh, one of the top golfers in the country, a college golfer uh, at a top program. I said, what do you love about your sports? She said, not, not too much about it. And really, I said, really? Yeah. I said, really, you're one of the best players in the country. She said, yeah, I like tennis more. <laughs> and so, uh, but she's better at golf. And so, you know, I'm doing it for the skull, the, you know, the, the scholarship. And so, um, you know, and I'm good at it and I've always kind of done it. And, um, but you know, my, my real passion is tennis. And so, um, you know, we talked about, okay, you know, there's gotta be some things that you love about golf. Let's focus on those. But, um, you know, to me, if you're not enjoying it, you're doing something wrong. Um, and it's just not sustainable because, you know, I look at that passion, that joy, that intrinsic motivation is, uh, as energy and you need that energy, you know, over the course of a career. Now, that got her the college scholarship and, you know, she was able to do really well in college, but she didn't turn pro. So it wasn't something, you know, that she didn't, she liked the game. Um, she didn't love the game and she definitely didn't live the game. And so those are three L's right there for you. Um, you know, some people like what they're doing. Some people love what they're doing, but if you really want to be great at it, you got to live it. And um, doesn't mean they can't have other interests or other passions or, you know, other important areas of your life that you focus on. Um, but you really got to live it. And how can you live something that's not, you know, joyful or fun? And so a lot of times, um, you know, with athletes, uh, you know, uh, I remember I had a conversation with James Harden back in the day when I was at ASU. I worked at ASU Sports Medicine and Counseling Services for a long time. And um, 
you know, I said, what do you love about the game? And, you know, he was just talking about just the sound the basketball makes when he's practicing alone. And, you know, all those little things, we forget all those little simple joys. And so sometimes, you know, with athletes, I'll recommend, you know, just focus on those simple joys today at practice. And it's amazing how much fun they have, how much more fun they have than, oh, this is going to hurt or how long are, you know, is practice going to last or why are we doing this drill instead of that drill? Um, get back into what's most fun about it. It's one thing to like it. It's one thing to love it. It's another thing to live it. Man, I'm going to steal that if you're okay with that. Yeah, I steal a lot of stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I look at it as we're all sharing. We're all trading. We're all sharing. We're all learning from each other. And that's the fun thing about, you know, um, about this work is learning from each other. Um, and, um, you know, I love asking athletes and other high performers, um, you know, what's the be best advice you've ever gotten or, you know, uh, what's your mindset in this situation versus that situation? And a lot of times it's similar. A lot of times it's pretty unique to that individual, but it's fun sharing different ideas. Um, that's the fun of this. And that's the curiosity part that you mentioned earlier. Another L is labor. Talk to me about that. Got to put in the work. Um, you know, I, I do think that we all like uh, immediate gratification. Um, you know, again, human nature. But when you think about it, all your success is based on what you've done in the past, the hard work you put on, you know, you put in the past. And so I love the idea of just earn it you know, and every day make yourself proud. And, uh, you know, we, we're not going to make ourselves proud if we kind of go through the motions and, you know, do just what's expected. And so I love the idea, go the extra mile, you know, uh, put in the hard work, put on your hard hat, roll up your sleeves and, you know, let's get busy. And so, um, you know, uh, working hard is really, really important. And then working smart is really, really important. And if you combine those two, you could find out how good you can be at whatever you're doing. But um, the labor part is interesting because I'll ask athletes, um, you know, how hard are you working lately? And all of them say, well, I'm working really hard. And my response back to them is compared to who, <laughs> you know, like, are you working as hard as the person that's the best or number one in the world in your sport? Well, no, you know, or are you working hard? Would you're would your coaches say that? Would your, coach would say your that teammates mean? say that? Uh, would your parents say that? And so, you know, yeah, you might be working harder than some of your teammates, but are do they have the same high goals that you have? And so um, don't be afraid of working hard. Um, and usually we have a lot uh, more in the bag than we think, a lot more that we can do. Um, and so there's always a second win. Uh, so, you know, if you feel like, oh, man, I'm really struggling, take a little break and then come back harder than ever. So I love uh, the idea, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to work with so many top athletes and they all go hard, yeah. <laughs> you know, they all go hard. So you got to go hard in life if you want to get to where you want to go. I think some of the pushback that could maybe come on this, this labor piece is, Dr. Jim, I'm injured. I can't, uh, what am I supposed to do? I can't really exert all this energy because I just had a concussion or whatever it is. One of the things that I was introduced when I played college football was the importance of mental reps. And at first, uh, uh, 18 year old kid, I scoffed at this. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie to you. I was like, what the heck? You're going to have me stand behind this other running back and you want me to run behind him and pretend I'm going to catch a pitch and then run this thing out because I had a concussion. Uh, and I can't, like we could, we couldn't go through contact for uh, X amount of days. And sure enough, that, that was the drill and that was the culture that we instilled there. And I see it now more and more, this idea of taking mental reps. So just because you're inhib inhibited by some sort of an injury doesn't mean you can't take mental repetitions. So talk to me a little bit about what are the conversations you're having with people that, Hey, I want to work hard, but I'm limited by my injury. Oh, I, yeah, I love this, uh, uh, dealing with injuries, you know, again, it's just 
sports, you know, it's not always kind to the body. And, um, you know, uh, as Tiger Woods has said, you know, injuries are part of the deal <laughs> when you play sports. So, and so um, you know, it's part of the business. And um, so we're going to be injured or we might be out sick or um, just for whatever reason, we might not be able to participate um, for a stretch of time. And that's a great opportunity to work on the mental game and visualization or, you know, mental training, uh, mental practice. Um, uh, is so important, um, uh, to get those reps and, um, you know, so that when you get back out there, it almost feels like I didn't miss a beat, you know, and, um, uh, we could, you know, visualize our technique. We could visualize different scenarios in a game and, you know, how we want to respond. We could visualize, you know, seeing yourself winning the championship and, you know, to give you a little boost of motivation. Uh, Phil Jackson did that with the Bulls and the Lakers. He would say, hey, you know, let's close our eyes and see ourselves at the uh, NBA championship uh, parade, having won the, you know, won the title. And, you know, again, it, it's not going to guarantee success, but it's going to up the odds for success. And so um, one of the things I do recommend is if you're out injured is uh, watch your teammates, whatever they're doing in your mind, you could do the same thing. And the neat thing about that is, Physically, it's not going to put you at any risk, uh, but mentally, it keeps you in the game. So even if you have to leave the game physically, you could stay in the game mentally, uh, which is really important. Or let's say, you know, we're talking about mistakes earlier, is if you make a mistake, you know, it doesn't have to be right then and there, but it could be after the game. Go back through those mistakes, replay them, rewind them, and then see yourself doing it the way you wanted to do it. Um, I think that the, the big knock on visualization is it's just wishful thinking. And I guess it's just wishful thinking if all you're doing is picturing a great outcome. But if you're visualizing yourself, you know, doing the steps, executing the steps that will lead to that outcome, then it's really, you know, more about practice, um, extra practice. And, um, you know, there's only so much time in the day or, you know, body can only handle so much that uh, visualization is a nice adjunct to physical training. And, you know, or, and it depends on the sport too. I remember, you know, I've worked with a lot of pole vultures and I started working with the track and field team when I was in grad school at Michigan state and pole vultures, you know, you, you just can't take, you know, hundred attempts, you know, in practice because physically you just can't. So, you know, I would make sure, Hey, every day leave, you know, with 10 mental attempts and mental reps ten clearing the bar, you know, seeing yourself clearing the bar. And it's amazing how helpful that can be. I think the major lesson is that labor may look different for different people at different seasons of their life, whether it's injury off season, in season labor doesn't always have to be hands on knees, breathing hard. It could mean something very different. Yeah. And labor, you know, a lot of that too is, you know, it's more about the quality than the quantity. Um, so we're talking about smart versus, you know, just hard. And, um, also too, with, with, um, you know, with anything, you need to have a yin yang approach. So I love the idea of uh, there's a fun saying that, you know, don't be lazy with your rest and recovery, which I really like. It's kind of a fun saying. But um, so if you want to max it, you got to relax, you know, before and after. And so balancing hard training with uh, really good rest and recovery is good. You know, a lot of athletes that I've worked with in college, um, they all pretty much work pretty, you know, pretty hard. Um, and a lot of them really hard. But how many of them relax well, get the rest, recovery, the you know, meditation, the breathing, the relaxation? Not training. many. <laughs> yeah, not many. And, uh, you know, because it feels a little too soft or, you know, how's that going to really help? But uh, that's a powerful combination when 
uh, you rest it so that you can test it. Love it. Uh, you talk about the four C's of mental toughness, confidence, composure, concentration, and commitment. I think something that everybody, or not everybody, but a lot of people are searching is for more confidence. I would love to break it down from you a little bit. I had Dr. Nate Zinster on my show, the author of The Confident Mind, and we learned a lot. And I just think there are more strategies out there, more people that are interested with how do I get more confident? What I've learned through just my time with Brian Kane is that your confidence comes your confidence comes down to your body language, your focus, and your self-talk. Do you agree with that? And how would you break down the conversation of becoming more confident? Yeah, I love that in terms of what Brian says. Um, you know, it's um, there's a lot of aspects to it. There's also your self-image that I kind of wrap into confidence. Um, do you see yourself as a champion? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then so affirmations, you know, or self-talk could come into play there. Um, you know, body language. Uh, when I was in grad school at Michigan State, Nick Saban was the football coach. And so I was around the program a little bit. And um, that was a lot of fun talking to some of the players. Also, uh, uh, one of my buddies um, developed co-developed uh, impact the concussion testing program, and so we administered that to some of the players and uh, with the program, and and so Michigan State football was one of the first to use impact. Um, and anyway, uh, Nick Saban would always tell the guys, you know, if your body language is down, you're telling the other team beat me now, <laughs> and so. Uh, but also think about the message you're giving to your teammates, you know, and the message that you're giving to yourself. I don't believe in myself, and and to your coaches. Uh, body language is huge. Um, and then uh, recalling your past success. So, for example, I've had a lot of athletes, you know, that come to me, you know, usually when they're not feeling very confident and, mm-hmm. you know, they're in a slump or, you know, they've gone through a rough patch. And I'll say, tell me a time when you felt like you were the man or you were the woman, you know, like you were you were on top of the hill. You were, you know, king of the mountain. Um, you know, you you had your swagger. And a lot of them go back to high school. Oh, man, when I was in high school, uh, you know, like I had a lot of swagger. And I'm like, hey, you know, let's get back to that guy, you know, or that gal. And they're like, well, it was just high school. And my response is, hey, it's the same sport. It's you're the same person. Let's get back to that. Um, swagger is really important. So I like the idea of be humble and practice, you know, like I have more to learn, you know, growth mindset that we talked about earlier. Uh, you know, I've never truly arrived. There's always more that I can do or get better at. But when it's time to perform, you need that confidence. Um that I respect my opponent, but I respect myself a hundred times more. Um, so one thing that, you know, kind of going back to mistakes earlier is what do you say to yourself after making a mistake? And I think what really erodes our self-confidence is when, you know, again, when we're too hard on ourselves in a bad way versus, you know, a good way would be I'm 10 times better in that. Come on, let's go. Uh, next play, best play. That's building confidence. You know, that wasn't you. That wasn't you on that first half. Let's go back to being 100% me that, you know, in the second half. That builds confidence. The, you know, oh, I suck. Here we go again. You know, that eats away at your core confidence. And so how you handle mistakes is really important. Um, and so use good plays to build your self-image. And then, you know, with poor plays or, you know, bad stretches in performance is, hey, that's not my real game. You know, let's get back to my real game. I know I have it in me. And when you think about it, your best performances ever uh, are just a glimpse of your true potential. You know, a lot of times we talk about playing over your head and you can't play over your head. You know, you can't, you know, uh, excellence is is not an accident. And so um, give yourself credit where credit is due. Because a lot of athletes, again, if they're too hard on themselves, you know, well, yeah, I did play well, but that that team wasn't that good. Or, 
mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. I will, you know, I, yeah, I was kind of lucky today. You know, if they're being humble, like kind of, you know, like being diplomatic, that's fine. But in your head, you got to go, yeah, that's what I'm capable of doing. And I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> so. I would love to take that a little, a little further. And in your book, you talk, I really like this. I, I'm very interested in self-talk because I think it's an area that um, personally, I think a lot of people struggle with this. I had the opportunity to speak alongside my dad at a school a couple hours down the road. And we just did a couple, we just did a fun kind of activity. I said, everybody grab a note card. I want you to write down what are the thoughts that go through your mind when you're playing at, when you're, when you're struggling or something bad happens in a game. Jim, you would be shocked or maybe you wouldn't, but there's 120 kids. I got all the note cards back. I filtered through them during lunch break. 80 of the 120 I deemed negative. 10 out of the 120 I deemed positive. The middle was kind of a neutral as it could go either way. 80 out of 120 were negative. And these are high school kids. And I'm telling you what, the cuss words, the bad things. I mean, I was blown away at, oh my gosh, you guys are so mean to yourselves. I couldn't believe it. And I I was so shocked that I wasn't even sure how to go about addressing it. And you talk about, it. I love this in your book, personal, permanent, pervasive. Talk to me a little bit about how do you adjust somebody's self-talk? Where do you start with somebody who's very mean to themselves? And what's the importance of personal, permanent, and pervasive? Yeah. When you do something well, that's what you got to say. That's me. You know, that's, that's what I do. That's what I'm going to keep doing. Um, and again, when you, something isn't going well, you got to, you know, obviously make any corrections and, you know, adjustments, but uh, that wasn't me or that was just an isolated game or that was just one shot at one particular time uh, during my round. You know, I don't need to make it pervasive and spread to my whole game. Um, I think that's really important. Um, Dusty Baker, uh, I had a chance to uh, spend a day with him once and um, so happy he, uh, you know, he has his World Series ring now. Uh, he's been in the game forever, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we talked about the mental game. He said, man, I wish I had someone like you when I played, he said, uh, you know, back in the day we had to go to Venezuela and meet with like a hypnotist or something, you know, like, you know, during winter ball. And you know, he's <laughs> like, there were, there were no sports psychologists. And, but, um, what I love about his approach is, uh, to managing is it's all about optimism. Something good is about to happen. And that's kind of what we're getting at. Um, most of us are almost waiting on something bad to happen. You know, when something's going well, it's, uh, this isn't going to last. And when something isn't going well, well, this is going to keep getting worse. And what I've seen is uh, uh, just the best of the best, they ten- tend to be psycho- what I call psychotically optimistic, mm. is something good is going to happen. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know where, but it's going to happen. And so it's almost as destiny. Um, but uh, for managing, it's important, too. And so Dusty was talking about, you know, hey, we're down, you know, a couple runs. Hey, we still have seven innings. Left. Um, or, you know, if they hit the ball hard, you know, like, hey, let's make a great play. Or, you know, if we hit the ball hard, you know, get to the wall or, you know, get get past the defense. Or, you know, he's always kind of thinking in an optimistic way. And I think that that sets a really good tone for himself, you know, staying positive and good body language and, you know, being present, but also for his, his team, his players as well. Um, but yeah, that's one of those things is to ask yourself, you know, am I waiting on something bad to happen or am I, you know, waiting on something good to happen? And, um, you know, I know the famous golfer Arnold Palmer talked about this. He said, uh, you know, every shot I was going to hit was going to be a great shot. And he said, you know, I hit a lot of bad shots. So, (laughs) you know, it wasn't necessarily true, but I thought it was going to be a great shot. And, 
you know, a lot of people will say, yeah, you know, but what after, you know, what, how about after two or three bad shots in a row? You can't keep thinking that way. And his response was always, look, what's the alternative to tell yourself your next shot is going to be a bad shot? You know, how's that going to work for you? And so I love the idea of, you know, in the heat of competition, you know, when, when it's game day, you know, you have to think optimistically and then just in general about your season or about your career. Now that doesn't mean that during practice, you can't say, okay, you know, what's going on here? How do I need to get better? Is there anything I'm missing? You know, be maybe a touch pessimistic, um, you know, in terms of, you know, not missing anything, but uh, in terms of optimism, I think, you know, we could all benefit from really working on that. Cause again, it's, it's, it goes against human nature. The, the thing about the negative self-talk is we all have a negativity bias. So, Again, settling for silver is just going along with our basic conditioning and, and uh, the way our brain is wired, which is to keep us safe. It's not to make us successful. So if you want to be pessimistic when, you know, maybe like, I don't know if we should buy this house in this neighborhood for that amount of money or whatever. Yeah, maybe be a little pessimistic or, you know, I need to be a little pessimistic about, you know, certain things that could really hurt me. That's one thing. But if it's just about, hey, I have a shot at hand right now, well, this is going in the cup. And so that's never going to happen. One of my other lines that I, I really like in your book is that you're one play away from a breakthrough performance. I think that could be very powerful, either thought or if you're a coach saying that to one of your athletes, you're one play away from a breakthrough. That's, that's, that's psychotic optimism in the sense of, you know, think about it. You're always one play away from, uh, making something really cool happen. Maybe the best shot you've ever hit in your life or the best play you've ever made in your life. You're always one game away from starting a winning streak. You know, you're always one season away from ending up on top. And so that's the way to look at it. That's the way to definitely look at it. Because again, you want your opponents not to think that way. <laughs> you know, you want your opponents to think, oh man, you know, here we go again, all that negative stuff. In contrast, you want yourself to think, man, you know, I'm just one shot away. And, you know, in sports psychology, it's been called the shooter's mindset, which is, you know, you miss your first few shots in a game. It's like, okay, I got the bad ones out of the way. Now look out. Sure. And then, you know, if you made your first three, oh, I'm hot tonight. Here we go. And so, you know, that's the shooter's mindset. The typical mindset again is, you know, I missed my first three shots. You know, I hope I get here. We go. I hope, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Or, you know, I'm going to get pulled from the game. You know, coach is going to sit me on the bench. Uh, or we make our first three. And I've had tons of athletes say, you know, uh, I birdied my first three holes or, you know, I made my first five shots in a basketball game or, you know, whatever. Well, what happened next? Well, I uh, started worrying about it or thinking this wasn't going to last. And then I went the other direction. So something to keep your finger on. I think another thing that I'm pulling out too, just working with athletes myself, and we recently talked to an anger management specialist who taught us about the power in using extreme words and what that can do for our self-talk and confidence. I'm thinking about just my own experience and listening to you right now, kind of having this epiphany of the power of using extreme words in self-talk. Oh, I'm the worst. That was the worst shot. Or, you know, it, everything is super dr uh, dramatized where if we were just to be a little bit more realistic with Hey man, you probably get 60 snaps in a game. That was maybe that was one that was one bad snap. This isn't an entire game, let alone an entire season of pitfalls. 
Talk to me a little bit about how people can be over dramatic on something that was in the reality. It was it was really minor. It was one play, one dribble, one turnover, one piece of the game. Yeah, you definitely don't want to play the game and think the way a fan would think. Because, you know, that's kind of how a fan would watch the game. Or, you know, we watch a movie. Um, you know, we like the drama. We like the storyline. But, you know, I think Tom Brady's great at this is just, hey, we don't need to do the impossible here. We just need to, you know, move the ball down the field and score a touchdown. You know, like, so it's almost the opposite of being dramatic. It's, it's you know, it, it's it's almost being a little bit boring. Um you know, just see target, hit target, you know, see shot, make shot, um, and not getting too up and down emotionally. So in terms of composure, one of our other C words is, um, you know, I like the idea of play with emotion, but don't let emotion play with you. So a little anger, a little frustration, a little anxiety, you know, a little sadness, depending on what's going on, that can spur you on. You could use that. That's energy. But too much of any of those things knocks you off your game. And so, um, you know, we tend to get too hyped up for the big game. You know, this counts. This is for all the marbles. And um, and then we over-try, over-think, over-care. And, you know, so I like the idea of be carefree out there. If we're taking it too serious, we're being careful. And if we're not taking it serious enough, we're being careless. So I like finding the middle ground there. Um, but yeah, I love the idea of, uh, you know, with a lot of athletes, it's let's hype up practice. You know, we got to get better today. Let's find a way to get one day better today. Um, you know, we don't have days to waste, you know, like, like, you know, get a little bit fired up for practice today. Use some extreme words for practice. But then when it comes down to the game time, it's like, Hey, this is the same stuff we do every day, you know, or just bring your basic game or just be brilliant with the basics, those kind of things. And so with a lot of Olympic athletes I've worked with, it's like, uh, yeah, the Olympics is a big deal, but at the end of the day, this is what I do every day. And so don't make it bigger than basketball or don't make it bigger than my event in track and field. Um, and this is where I belong in getting back to confidence and self-image. This is what I do. This is who I am. Uh, this is where I belong. I've earned it. And uh, everyone's going to get my best shot today. And I like my chances. My dad wrote a book called uh, Playing Beyond the Scoreboard. In it, he says, uh, play with emotion, don't be the emotional player. And I think when we talk about composure, I mean, isn't that isn't that so true? Of I'm a big uh, Minnesota Vikings fan up here in Minnesota, and Kirk Cousins displays this really well. Throws an interceptions, and, and you know, I'm angry because I'm a fan. I'm like, what are you doing? And you see him, he shakes his head, says, says, dang it. He doesn't swear, he doesn't curse, and, and gets off the field. And I think that's the epitome of staying cool, calm, collected, and having that composure. And we talked earlier about Jocko and talking about not letting the wins or the losses affect the next play or even the next day, or maybe it's the next year. We see that sometimes after a Super Bowl win. Composure is key. Yeah, and it's contagious too. So mm. what's the Navy SEAL saying? You know, calm is contagious. And so that's great for leaders and, um, you know, coaches and, and, and players is, um, you know, when you stay cool, calm, and collected, uh, it really spreads to the whole team. And again, getting back to Tom Brady, I think, you know, he, he has a little bit of an anger streak, you know, at times. And, you know, even someone like Steve Kerr, you know, occasionally he says, you know, like I'm a pretty nice guy and have a lot of fun. And, but, you know, occasionally I got to yell at the players and maybe use a, you know, extreme word or two um, to make sure that I get their attention. So, but um, yeah, calm is contagious and it's really important. Uh, again, we tend to, uh, I like to say that champions don't have a panic button. And, um, 
And so, you know, your finger might get really close to pressing the panic button, you know, when things are going really poorly. But if you could just, you know, that's where the self-talk, getting back to self-talk, hang in, hang in, hang in. You know, plenty of football left or plenty of game left or, you know, next play, best play. That really, really helps because, you know, and then it goes to concentration as well, which is, you know, focusing on the right thing at the right time, ideally every time. And if we are still upset or furious or, you know, you know, really troubled by something that happened in the past, that's going to affect our concentration in the present. And that's where we start making a lot of those mistakes. Um, so concentration is, is key. And, you know, I think it was Vince Lombardi that said, you know, there's two or three plays every game that can make the difference between winning and losing. And he said, the problem is we don't know what those two or three plays are going to be. So if you're not focused, <laughs> you know, you're, you might miss out, out on those plays. Last question. I call the million dollar question, Dr. Jim. In, in regards to mental performance coaching, sports psychology, what is something that you know now that you wish you knew when you first got into the industry? Oh, man. Um, that this stuff, everything that we're talking about um, is way more important than I even thought when I got into the field. I knew that, you know, all this stuff was helpful, but being around those that have succeeded um, at the highest level, um, they tend to all think this way. It uh, doesn't mean that they're perfect with all this stuff, uh, but they really use this stuff. Uh, they really apply this stuff. Uh, they really own their mental game. And so to me, you know, I every day that goes by, every client that I've worked with or team, it really, uh, you know, just amazes me how powerful the mind is. You know, we all know it's powerful, but, you know, it is so powerful. And so it's either going to be our best friend or our worst enemy. And so it's up to all of us in all areas of our life to use our mind because the mind is the president of the body, you know, like it's running the show. It's the big boss. And so uh, how powerful the mind is, but then you know, it doesn't take a lot of time or necessarily a lot of work. It's just some consistency and some, you know, good information to get so much better at this. So the best way to improve your game is to improve your mental game. And the mental game is your game. Awesome. So cool. Jim, thanks for taking the time. So the champions come back. Um, this is a phenomenal book. I highly recommend it. if somebody wants to uh, get it, where can they get it? And what else are you working on? Where can I point my listeners if they want to learn more from you? Yep. So, um, Champions Comeback is available on Amazon. Uh, it's also on audio. A lot of uh, athletes like the audiobook version uh, so they could, you know, put on their headphones and listen to it. But uh, so my first book, The Champions Mind, second book, Champions Comeback. Then I wrote The Young Champions Mind, more for younger teens. Um, and then I have a new book out um, with a co-writer, uh, Phil White, great guy, um, called The Leader's Mind. And so it's all about leadership, culture, all those kind of things. Um, Coach K, who recently retired from Duke basketball, he said, I've been coaching for 47 years and I'm still learning about leadership. So leadership is such an important topic. We could all get better at self-leadership, but then also leading and make, you know, having a big influence on others. So the leader's mind is out. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Gold Medal Mind and Dr. Jim Aframo, uh, com on uh, is my website. So thank you so much, DJ. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for coming back for round two.